This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Grab your Bibles and turn to Galatians chapter 5 tonight, if you would. We're continuing our series uh, entitled Only Jesus as we're going verse by verse through the book of Galatians. Uh, Galatians chapter 5 is where we find ourselves tonight. We've gotten to one of the, I believe, most power-packed passages in all of the uh, New Testament in the fact that it tells us what the fruit of the Spirit looks like. And the fruit of the Spirit is uh, made up of nine components, uh, nine virtues that make up uh, what we refer to as the fruit of the Spirit. We're taking a look at these and just kind of dissecting them uh, as we go one by one. Uh, this is one of those passages of Scripture that would be easy to just kind of gloss over and say, hey, here's what the fruit of the Spirit looks like. But it, this gives us an idea as, to far, as far as what that fruit looks like in our own lives. And so we'll take a look at that tonight. Galatians chapter 5, uh, we'll start in verse number 16. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. This is critical. If you want the fruit of the Spirit, you cannot walk in the flesh at the same time. They cannot coexist. One, the works of the Spirit will ruin the fruit. Of, I'm sorry, the works of the flesh will ruin the fruit of the Spirit. Verse 17, for the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. These are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. But if you be led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of which I tell you before, as I've told you in times past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But, verse 22 and 23, powerful. The fruit of this spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. As we've been taking a look at this again, if we look at the, the, the works of the flesh uh, that are manifest, the Bible says in verses 19, uh, 20, 21, these are a multitude of sins that uh, maybe some Christians have even been guilty of from time to time, but we look at this and we wouldn't say that we have ever uh, in totality fulfilled all of the works of the flesh. If so, that would be a miserable life for any person to try to have. So the works of the flesh are individual sins that we might be guilty of, that we need to repent of and make right before God. But the fruit of the Spirit is a package deal. It's not uh, the fruits, plural of the Spirit, but the singular fruit of the Spirit. It's this package deal. These nine virtues together make up the fruit of the Spirit. So we can't have one without the other, yet have the fullness of what God wants to do in our lives. Uh, we have to have the totality of it. So again, we might look at this list and say, well, it's easy for me to be loving, but I struggle with long-suffering. Or it's easy for me to be uh, patient, but I struggle with kindness or gentleness. Uh, it's a package deal. And again, because you struggle with it, that's what makes it not a work of your flesh, but it, uh, it's the work of the Holy Spirit inside of you that brings this out. Again, these Fruits of the Spirit, they're the fruit of the Spirit here is not something we can conjure up on our own. It's not something we can work towards for ourselves. This is not something that we can just try harder or do better and produce. It's the work of the Holy Spirit inside of us. 
And if you're a child of God here tonight, there's been a time, a date, a place in your life where you were born again. Inside you, you have the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit has the capability if you walk in the power of the Holy Spirit to produce this fruit in your life. The fruit of the Spirit is what you want. It's what your heart craves. It's what you desire when you look for in satisfaction. You want love. You want joy. You want peace. You want long-suffering. You want gentleness. You want goodness. You want all these things, and the only way you're going to get them is by the Holy Spirit doing that work in your life. But here's the thing. You don't have the Holy Spirit if you're not a child of God. You're not automatically born with the Holy Spirit. You're not automatically born into God's family. You're not automatically, just because you showed up to church, gonna be a Christian who goes to heaven when they die. You need a time, a date, and a place where you are saved, where you're born again. You see, we're all born into this world sinners. We all are born to go our own way and do our own thing. Uh, Verses 19 through 21 show us what happens when we go our own way and do our own thing. And because of our sinful condition, we don't have access to God, we will never go to heaven on our own. That's why verse number 21 in this passage says, they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. These people who are uh, given over to this type of sin, which is you and I before we meet Jesus, will not go to heaven when we die on our own. We can't be good enough. We can't just try to turn this around and do a little bit better. We must pay for our sins. And the Bible says we will not inherit the kingdom of God. But God doesn't want you to die and go to hell. God doesn't want you to spend eternity separated from him. God wants you to become his child. God wants you to know for sure that when you die that heaven is your home. Know for sure that your sins are forgiven. But again, it's not a matter of trying harder or doing better. It's a matter of getting a new family altogether. You see, the Bible says when you and I were born, we were born the children of disobedience, the children of wrath, the children of the devil. We're not born into God's family automatically. We're at odds with God. Romans chapter five says that we are enemies with God the way that we're born into this world. And so we need to, just as one would do in a war, surrender. Throw up the white flag, lay down our arms and change sides. There's only one way that you can do that through Jesus himself. Jesus came As God in the flesh, he died on the cross to pay for my sins and to pay for yours. All those sins in verses 19 through 21 that keep people from going to heaven, Jesus says, I'm gonna pay for that so that you can be forgiven. And the Bible says tonight, if you'd be willing to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your savior, if you'd be willing to say, I've been wrong and now I wanna be made right by Jesus. The Bible says you can be saved tonight. It's not a matter of joining this church. It's not a matter of uh, being baptized. It's not a matter of a religious practice that you go through. It's just recognizing I've sinned against God and I need to be saved from my sin. Thankful that a young lady this morning came and she heard the gospel and was saved uh, this morning as a result of a coworker giving her an invitation to church. Man, praise God for that, that Jesus Christ still saves sinners. That's the whole purpose behind this. And here's the great part about it. When you put your faith and trust in Jesus as your savior, the moment that you do, the Holy Spirit comes into your life and begins to produce this fruit. Verses 22 and 23, the stuff that you and I crave begins to be produced in our life by the Holy Spirit at work in us and through us. So far in this passage, if you missed any of these, you can get caught up on our podcast. But so far we've talked about the the fruit of the spirit of love. Love is not an emotion that we have. Love is a choice that I make uh, to put other people above myself. 
Uh, the opposite of love is not hate because love is not an emotion, it's a choice. The opposite of love is selfishness. And so if I want to love the way God commands me to, I'm gonna put other people above myself. I'm gonna look out for the well-being of others before myself. I'm gonna do things for them in a way that expresses God's love for them. It's not a feeling or emotion that we have. Next is the virtue of joy. Joy is a feeling of happiness that's based on spiritual realities. It's not happiness that I get because everything's going my way. It's not the happiness that I get uh, because uh, uh, my, all my bills are paid. It's not even the happiness that I get that the Lakers so far are 7-1 this year. Can you believe that? I can't believe it. I'm happy about it. That's not joy, though. You know why? Because happiness doesn't last. <laughs> at some point, I know my Lakers, and they will greatly disappoint me at some point this season. Uh, and my happiness will then uh, take a detour. But joy, joy lasts forever. You know why? Because it's based on spiritual realities. It's not based on how good my health is or uh, how good my work environment is or how much money I have in the bank. My joy is based upon the fact that I am loved by God. I'm adopted into his family, uh, that God is my father, Christ is my brother. I have a new family and the fact that God has given me a spiritual brothers and sisters that make up his church, that we get to worship him together. Uh, I have joy knowing that this life is gonna give me uh, some rough times from time to time, but I know that God's in charge and I know this life is only temporary and I can't wait to get to heaven heaven one day where I get to worship with Jesus for all of eternity. And I can have joy because of that, because whatever's going on this week that's pretty crummy, it's only going to last for a short period of time, and then the good stuff comes. And I can have joy, and joy is not based on my circumstances, it's based on spiritual realities. Next, last week we took a look at the virtue of peace. We need peace first and foremost, knowing that everything's right between me and God. I need to know that when I die, my sins are forgiven. I need to have the peace knowing that when this life is over, I get to go to heaven, not because I'm a good person, not because of what I've done, but because God chose to forgive me and give me the gift of his son, Jesus, and I can have peace with God. I also need peace with other people. I need peace with my fellow man. The Bible says, as much as life in you, live peaceably with all men. I need to have peace with my circumstances, knowing that God's in charge, knowing that everything is gonna work out according to his perfect plan and we can have peace because the Holy Spirit's at work in us. The next virtue that we have here is the virtue of long-suffering. Depending on what Bible translation you have in front of you tonight, it might say the word patience. Uh, I believe that the word long-suffering is a, is a, a better word that's used here uh, the King James Version of the Bible, which we use here at Huikala, uh, uses the word long-suffering here. We'll take a look at why that is in just a moment. But long-suffering is patient endurance of pain or unhappiness. Tolerance and long-suffering endures injuries inflicted by others, and it's the calm willingness to accept situations that are irritating and painful. Long-suffering, uh, to make it really easy for you, is suffering long. It's a little bit more than patience, and we'll take a look at why that is in just a moment, but this is me being able to say day after day, hey, things aren't going my way, but I, I trust in the Lord. Hey, I have been mistreated, but I'm not looking for revenge. Hey, things aren't going my way, but I'm not looking for a way to bail on this situation. Hey, I can trust that God is in charge, and I'm willing to suffer long. Now, you can't do this on your own because we are impatient people. We are entitled people. I don't deserve this. I deserve better than this. That's the opposite of long-suffering. But when the Holy Spirit's at work in your life, I can say, hey, I can, I can make it through this. 
I have a willingness to suffer long through this situation because I believe that God is in charge and I believe that God is able. The, when Paul wrote the book of Galatians, he wrote the letter to the churches at Galatia. He wrote it in the Greek language. The word that was translated into English here, long-suffering, is the word macrothumia. Uh, the word macrothumia, macro meaning long, and then the word thumia meaning tempered or burning. So if you think of it this way, either long-burning or long-tempered. You've heard somebody say before, I've got a really short fuse, so don't light it. Uh, this is the opposite of that. This is a really long fuse <laughs> that would take months or years to burn through. This is not the person who can just keep it together for five or 10 minutes. This is the person who can keep it together for five or 10 weeks or five or 10 months or five or 10 years. This is a long burning, long suffering. This is a willingness to endure for the long haul. That's why long suffering is not simply patience. When we think of the word patience, uh, we think of, I, I don't like to wait. I would consider myself an incredibly impatient person. Uh, if I go to a restaurant and I say, hey, what's the wait like here? And they say, uh, 35 to 40 minutes. I'm not gonna wait. Unless it's my favorite restaurant and I've been dreaming of going there forever. I'm just not gonna wait. But you know what I will do? I'll drive around for 35 or 40 minutes and find a restaurant with a 20 minute wait and feel like I've accomplished something, right? And my wife told me, if we had just stayed, we'd already be eating by now. I'm not going to wait that long. I'm not. I refuse to wait that long. I'll waste that much time, but I'm not going to wait that long. Uh, and that is, that would be what would be considered impatient. When we speak of the word patience, patience can be a willingness to be inconvenienced by waiting longer than one would want. If we just look at the word patient, that means uh, I, I don't have a problem if my commute is an hour and 10 minutes because I've got, I've got time. You know, I can listen to a podcast. I'm not impatient in any way. Uh, there's an accident on the freeway today, but I can roll down my windows and just enjoy the, the, the beautiful trade winds and just rest in God's creation. That would be patient. Long-suffering is a little bit more than that. Long-suffering is a little bit deeper than the fact that I'm momentarily inconvenienced or this doesn't, I'm having to wait a little bit longer than I want to. Long-suffering is a willingness to suffer long. Not simply be inconvenienced for a short period of time. Not simply, hey, things didn't go my way this week. Maybe things will look up next week. Not, I'm willing to wait a couple more hours or a couple more days. Long-suffering says, I'm willing to suffer not just wait, I'm willing to suffer for an extended period of time because I trust in God's plan. And so when it comes to, uh, I, I believe the words that we use in the Bible are important. I believe they communicate meaning. And the word macrothumia, I believe is, is better uh, quantified as long suffering as opposed to simply just patience. And so when it comes to the fruit of the spirit, you and I need to be not simply patient, which is a good thing, no doubt about that, but we should be long-suffering. The Bible says that God has shown his long-suffering toward mankind. <laughs> if you take a look at the fruit of the Spirit, whether it be peace, joy, uh, love, joy, peace, 
long-suffering, all of these are perfectly personified in the person of Christ. All these are attributes of God and who he is. And so God shows us what long-suffering looks like and the fact that he's long-suffering toward mankind. Uh, Keep your finger here. We're going to come back in just a a bit, but turn, if you would, over to Romans chapter 3. We're going to have your Bible handy because we're going to take a look at a lot of different passages of Scripture um, tonight. Romans chapter 3, verse number 23. If you've been coming to Hui Kala for any length of time, you'll probably hear this uh, verse quite often. Uh, if you have one of our invitation cards on the back here, you'll see Romans 3.23. Uh, you should be able to quote it by now by heart. If not, commit it to memory because you need to know it. Romans chapter 3, verse number 23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Going on verse number 24. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So uh, we have sinned and come short of the glory of God, but we can be made right, declared righteous before God. Uh, verse 24 says, because of what Jesus has done for us. Verse 25, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation. Again, I, I believe that every word in the Bible means something and we need to get the full meaning out of the word. Propitiation means more than just atoning sacrifice, which might be found in some translations of the Bible, uh, English translations. In this case here, in the, in the King James, which we use here, the word propitiation means a, a, a covering sacrifice, a, a, a atoning satisfactory payment that was made for the sins of mankind that not only pays for our sin but covers them and shields them from God's view and Jesus was the propitiation through faith in his blood to declare righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God I love that word forbearance it means that God's holding back my wife and I, when we first got married, uh, we didn't go through any type of premarital counseling. We didn't uh, uh, really talk to anybody. We just thought we're in love and we should get married. And uh, by God's grace, he was incredibly gracious. I don't recommend that. You need premarital counseling. You need a pastoral uh, sign off in the fact that you need somebody giving you spiritual wisdom. We didn't have it. We didn't do it. And so uh, we get married. Uh, our first of the month bills come around and she says, um, hey, my student loan payment's due. <laughs> you got student loans? And she's like, yeah. And I go, oh, uh, mind you, at the time, I'm uh, E5 in the Navy. I'm flat broke, making no money whatsoever. And I'm just like, wow, that's not good because every dollar is spoken for in our house. Uh, and she said, it's okay. I can apply for a forbearance. And I, mind you, I'm 21. I know nothing about student loans or anything to do with anything. Uh, and I said, what is forbearance? And she said, basically, they put a hold on it don't charge you interest, and then they make you pay it later down the road. I said, what's later down the road? She was like, you can get a forbearance of five years or 10 years or something like that. I said, let's get 10 years. That would be good. Uh, But the idea was this. You owe something that needs to be paid today, but we're going to hold off and give you a chance to get it together, but in five years, you're going to have to pay. When we think in terms of that, as far as God's forbearance goes, you owe God something, your life. For the wages of sin is death. Because of your sin against God, you owe him your life. You must die. You must pay for your sin by being uh, separated from God for all of eternity in a place called hell. That's what you owe him. But here's what God's gonna do. God's gonna put a stop on your payment that's due and he's gonna give you some time to get it together. That's forbearance. But the Bible says that God will not be gracious forever. 
there's coming a point when you must pay what you owe. That's called judgment day. And God says, I've given you time to get it together and now you need to pay up. And at that point, when God calls in the payment that's due, you got two ways to pay. You pay with your own life, with your own soul for all of eternity, or you find somebody a lot richer than you who can pay your debt for you, and that richer person is Jesus Christ. Jesus paid my debt in full, and when judgment day comes, God looks at my account and says, Anthony, your account's been paid in full. You are righteous before me. But that period for every human being between the time that judgment day comes and the payment that's owed, that's God's forbearance. And the Bible says that God is forbearing his wrath. If you think of God's wrath as a, a being a five-gallon bucket that he holds that he's getting ready to pour out on mankind, which is what God's wrath will be done, it'll be poured out upon mankind in the tribulation period and on all sinners in hell. God's wrath will be poured out. Right now, he's got this five-gallon bucket full of his wrath that he's holding back right now, but he's not going to hold back forever. There comes a point where God's wrath will be poured out for all of eternity. That's God's forbearance. So when you think of that, how it relates to us, somebody might deserve wrath and judgment from you. Somebody might need to be taught a lesson from you. Somebody might need to get what's coming to them, but you, like God, should be long-suffering. I'm gonna hold off on that for just a minute. I'm not gonna give them what they deserve just yet. You see, long-suffering is a display of God's power. God at any moment could choose to pour out his wrath, but he is waiting. I love the Bible. The Bible says that God doesn't delight in the death of the wicked. God's not waiting around to whack people over the head for their sin. God is not rubbing his hands like, oh, I can't wait till judgment day comes and I get to pour out my wrath upon unbelievers and those that have cursed my name. The Bible says that God has no joy in the death of the wicked. Romans chapter nine, turn a few pages over to Romans chapter nine, verse number 22, if you would. I love the book of Romans. It's, it's so powerful. I, um, I'm gonna preach through the book of Romans sometime. Not yet. Um, it's one of those books that you just don't, you don't wanna just like jump into the book of Romans. It's heavy. Uh, and I wanna make sure that I have the opportunity to do it service. But Romans chapter nine, verse number 22. What if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted for destruction. Again, God's got vessels of wrath, big five-gallon bucket full of his wrath that he's getting ready to pour out. But what if God wanted to show how powerful he was by holding that back? Verse 23, that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels not of wrath, but the vessels of mercy, which he had afore prepared unto glory. What if God's holding back his wrath because he wants to show how great, how powerful he is in your life? What if your story, and I hope this is your story, I'm deserving of God's wrath. I deserve hell. I deserve punishment. 
I deserve everything God could throw at me, but he has been merciful and gracious to me and he loves me. He has called me his son. He has given me eternal life through Jesus Christ and I am forgiven. You know what that shows? God's power. He has the right at any moment to squash you and I like bugs, like the bugs that we are. But he's chosen to be long-suffering, to show his power. Long-suffering is also a display of God's glory. Turn, if you would, to uh, 2 Peter chapter 3. Second Peter chapter three, verse number nine. My daughter McKeeley is in our Awana program on Wednesday nights and this is one of their memory verses for this week. Second Peter chapter three, verse number nine. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some men count slackness. God says he's coming and he's coming. And he's, he's not uh, wishy-washy on the promises that he makes. He doesn't make a promise and then break it. The Lord's not slack concerning his promise as some men would count slackness. But he is, that word, long-suffering. To who? To us word. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God's giving you a chance. God's giving other people a chance to come to him. He's not yet poured out his wrath. He's not yet judged mankind for their sin. It's coming, but he's long-suffering. To who? To you and I. That's why I, I struggle with the idea that God has chosen certain people to go to hell. Because the Bible says God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Because he's God, he knows who will accept him or reject him. But I don't believe at the end of the day that God sat with a master roster before eternity began and checked off who's going to heaven and who's going to hell. I just don't believe that. Because of verses like this, it says God doesn't want anybody to die and go to hell. If you're here tonight and you don't know for sure that Jesus Christ is your Savior, God wants to save you. He doesn't want you to be separated from him. He wants you to know for sure that heaven is your home and that your sins are forgiven before him. But God is long-suffering. He's holding off for right now. And that is a display of his glory because when a sinner comes to repentance, it's a story that God has been gracious, he's been merciful, and he's been long-suffering. And God gets glory for that. Every time someone accepts Christ as Savior, it shows that God could have poured out his wrath. God could have judged them, but he chose to be long-suffering, and that gives God's glory. Long-suffering is a display of God's power on you and I. Long-suffering is a, a display of God's power on us. Colossians chapter one, verse number 10, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience and long suffering with joyfulness. God's power wants to rest upon you, wants to, to be displayed upon your life. When people look at me and say, oh, you think you're going to heaven because you're a good person? I can say, no. I'm not going to heaven because I'm a good person because I'm not a good person, according to the Bible. I've broken God's law. And the Bible says if you offend in one point of the law, you're guilty of all of it. So it doesn't matter if you've broken one commandment or 120 commandments. You stand guilty before God and you're not a good person, according to the Bible. Someone even, someone even called Jesus good. He said, hey, good teacher. He says, whoa, whoa, whoa. Why do you call me good? There's nobody good. 
Uh, Jesus was good because he was perfect. But God's long-suffering, his grace, his mercy is a display of his power upon us. Long-suffering goes hand-in-hand with forbearance. Again, I'm going to give you a minute to get your stuff together, but judgment's coming. I'm going to give you a period of time where my wrath is going to be put on pause, but there's coming a time where you must pay for what you've done, and long-suffering goes hand-in-hand with forbearance. How does this apply to you and I? When you and I choose to be long-suffering, we choose to not give people what they deserve. Hey, maybe they might get it one day if that's what God's plan is, but today is not that day. I choose to allow God to handle that. I choose to allow God to work it out in his ultimate plan. And I choose to be forbearing in my anger, in my vengeance, in my bitterness, in my sense for justice. I choose to wait upon the Lord. Ephesians chapter four, verse number two. With all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love. Meekness is another virtue. It's part of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Take a look at that a little bit later, a few weeks down the road. But here in this case here, it says forbearing one another in love. Hey, I know you deserve a stern talking to you, but I'm not gonna give it to you. I know what you've done was hurtful to me, but I choose to give you grace. I see what you did was really spiritually immature, but I see that you're growing and I'm gonna give you the opportunity to grow. I see the way that you're acting is the way that immature Christians act, and that's okay. I'm gonna give you some space to be able to grow. I'm not gonna call in judgment. I'm not gonna call in wrath. I'm not gonna give you a le- teach you a lesson. I'm gonna allow God to work in me, allow God to work in you. Long-suffering puts to rest the idea of personal vengeance. So many times we feel like it's our job to teach people a lesson. You want to teach somebody a lesson? Show them what long-suffering looks like. Show them what love looks like. Show them what joy looks like. Teach them that lesson. Hey, I'm going to teach them a lesson of what peace looks like in our lives. Long-suffering and forbearance puts away the idea that it's my, my responsibility to set everything right. Our uh, youngest son, Vanderlei, 17, turns 18 in February. He, um, from a very, very young age, has had a strong sense of justice. If somebody breaks a rule, they should pay the price every single time, 100% of the time. No grace whatsoever. Uh, the kid, when he was in, uh, in elementary school, they had white notes that they would send home for any infractions. He was terrified of getting a white note because it meant the end of, of, of his life, in his opinion. A white note was death to him and uh, terrified of it. He went four years of elementary school, no white notes. He said, what happened after that? He moved schools, they didn't have white notes. So um, never got a white note, ever. And we were just talking about this a few weeks ago. He said, um, he said Dad, I remember being in second grade and uh, Joshua would get a white note and he goes, and I'm, my heart just broke for the kid I'm terrified for the kid because what's going to happen? And he goes, he takes his white note, wads it up and throws it in his backpack and goes on with his life. And I thought, that dude's ice cold. Ice cold. How could he do that? And he goes, I just remember like, whoa. 
like the baddest man on the planet. Didn't flinch at a white note. And so he's always had this really strong sense of justice. And the other day, uh, we were driving, and he's taking his behind-the-wheel test in a couple of weeks, and so we're getting some practice in and driving and stuff like that. He was driving home from school. We were on um, Alabama Boulevard right in front of uh, uh, Ward. And um, so we're driving there, and there's a police officer who's talking to this guy who's on a skateboard and um, on the sidewalk over on the Alamona Beach Park side. And the guy, the police officer stops him. He's talking to him. And the dude grabs his skateboard and takes off running across the street, like directly in front of our car. And like in the middle of traffic and the police officer gets on his radio and he's calling out and he's yelling at the guy to stop and stuff like that. And the dude's taking off, starts weaving in between cars. And no lie, my son, Vanderlei, asked this question. Should I hit him? <laughs> what? Should I hit him so that the, the police officer can get him? No. Oh, okay. I thought maybe you'd help him out. It's like, no, you, no, like, no, you don't hit people with your car on purpose. It's like, did you really just ask that question? But in his mind, you know whose job it was to set things right? It was his. Hey, this guy's breaking the law. I'm going to get him. Nobody breaks the law. Not in my neighborhood. Not on my watch. Like, you're going to hit a pedestrian. The guy could have been asking him, like, what his phone number was. You ran across traffic. You're going to hit him with your car. What the world, man? But this idea of personal vengeance is very deep with him. It's very real with him. But forbearance and long-suffering says, no, 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 it's not my job to make every situation right. But there's coming a day when God will make everything right. And I'm just gonna leave it up to him. I don't have to see justice in every situation. I don't have to see people being taught a lesson or get what's coming to them. I can just choose to give grace and allow long-suffering to do its part. Long-suffering goes hand-in-hand hand with humility. Again, with all lowliness and meekness, Ephesians 4.2, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. <sighs> you know what wrecks your long-suffering? Pride. Every single time. Well, I don't deserve to be treated this way. Okay, you're probably right. Somebody needs to teach them a lesson. Yeah, you're probably right. Somebody needs to pay for this. Yeah, you're totally right, 100%. But it's not you. Long-suffering says, I'm gonna allow God to do the work. I'm not talking about training your children right from wrong. I'm not, not telling you that when people violate Scripture that you shouldn't say, hey, brother, I'm concerned about you, that you're in sin. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when we've been offended, the need to make things right, the need to set somebody in order, set things in line. Now, again, I'm not talking about seeking peace with people. We should do that. We're not talking about vengeance, though. Pride says, I don't deserve to be treated this way. Somebody needs to do something about this. I'm going to fix this. Pride in our marriage says, I'm not going to let you treat me that way. There's somebody out there that would love me and treat me better than you do. That's what pride says. Humility says, hey, I'm just going to trust in the Lord and allow him to work this out. I'm going to trust God's plan. I'm willing to not just be patient, I'm willing to suffer long. You say, well, pastor, I just can't do that. You're absolutely right, you can't. But the Holy Spirit inside of you can. That's the whole idea behind the fruit of the Spirit. You can't be a person of, of love, a joy, a peace, and long-suffering. You can't do it on your own. The Holy Spirit must do it for you, in you, through you. Long-suffering allows God to do his will in his time. 
Long-suffering trusts in the sovereignty of God. I'm willing to suffer long because I know that God has a plan in my suffering. I know that God has a plan through this process. And long-suffering gives God the opportunity to be able to do what God wants to do. Now, mind you, God might not set things right in our time t- timeline. <laughs> if you haven't figured it out yet in your Christian walk yet, let me help you with something. God rarely works in accordance with your timeline and your plans. If he did, he wouldn't be God, you would be. So if God doesn't bring resolution in the seven days that you think it should be brought, just give God a minute, he's doing something. And God might not be doing something to the other person, God might be doing something to you. He might be teaching you, strengthening you, causing you to lean upon him harder, causing you to develop this virtue of long-suffering in you that maybe you've never had before. allows God the opportunity, the space, the margin to be able to do his work, his way, and his time. Incredibly important closing thought here tonight. Long-suffering is not enduring mistreatment to the point of being a victim of abuse. I've known people that were in physical, physically abusive relationships that they felt like they needed to stay there because of long-suffering. Junk. If you're being physically abused, you need to seek help need to seek safety. This is not allowing someone to be emotionally and verbally abusive to you for an extended period of time and time again. This is not making yourself a doormat. This is not allowing people to take advantage of you again and again and again. Now just know this, if you're a good Christian, you're gonna be taken advantage of. But I'm not talking about becoming a victim of abuse. And I've known knuckle-headed husbands who feel like their wives need to stay with them when they're being abusive because of long-suffering. That's not what we're talking about. And if you are the victim of abuse, please know this. Our church is willing to do whatever it takes to help you. And let that be message be heard far and wide. Anytime things like this happen, I know that there's always two sides to a story, but no one ever deserves to be abused. Period, end of story, ever. And our church is willing to back that 110%. That's not long-suffering. That's not godliness. So no place for that in Christianity at all. So if you're in an abusive relationship, don't stay there because you feel like you're just being long-suffering that God's gonna reward you. God will care for you, I promise you that, but you do not have to subject yourself to abuse. Final thought here tonight. The opposite of long-suffering is impatience and entitlement. The opposite of long-suffering is I want what I want, I want it now, and I deserve it. The opposite of long-suffering is when am I gonna get what I deserve? And I always cringe at Christians who say, Hey, I just want what I deserve. Friend, I promise you, you do not want what you deserve. You don't, guaranteed. You deserve God's wrath. You deserve God's judgment. You deserve the penalty of your sin. You deserve all those things. You do not want those things. Trust me, you want God to be gracious. You want God to be merciful. And if you're willing to be long-suffering, God will allow you the grace that you need to be 
gracious and merciful as well. All these things work together hand in hand. You know why? Because if I can truly be long-suffering, I can allow God the space to do what he wants to do and, and to give other people their due, allow God to handle vengeance, allow God to handle judgment, allow God to handle the penalty of what people have done wrong, and I give him space to do that. You know what that develops in me? A peace, knowing that God's in charge of it. That while I might have been personally wronged, God's gonna handle it. He's in charge of it. I'm not gonna sweat it. And that brings peace. And because I can have peace with the situation, I no longer harbor ill will towards another person. And you know what that develops in me? Joy. And if I can have a long-suffering attitude towards people that have done me wrong, I can have peace knowing that God's working it all out, which then restores my joy, I can love people because I'm not concerned that maybe they won't love me back. Or maybe if I love someone, they're gonna take advantage of me. You know, you don't, you don't have to worry about that. You know why? Because you're long-suffering and God's given you peace and now you have joy and now that you're free to love people. You see that? All these work together. They're all connected. That's why people say, well, I'm good at the love thing. I'm just not really good at patience and long-suffering. It's a package deal. It all works together. And here's the, the great part about it. Sometimes people say, well, it's hard for me to love people because I'm afraid they'll hurt me. They will. Just chalk that up. That's the price of admission. Knowing that people you will love that will never love you back or not even just love you back, be hateful, ugly, and stab you in the back. How about that? But you know what? I'm okay with that. You know why? Because I can choose to be long-suffering and God's given me peace. And because that's not gonna rob my joy because I know that God's in charge of all of it. I can have joy. I'm, I'm free to love other people. If you, if you remember earlier in this passage, in Galatians, Paul says, use not your liberty as an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. I'm free now to be able to love other people. And that brings joy. And that gives me great peace. And because I truly love people with God's love, not my own, I can choose to be long-suffering. So, long-suffering, it's a little bit deeper than patience. It's a little bit deeper than you know, I don't want to put a frozen pizza in the oven because it's going to take 27 minutes to cook. Long-suffering's a little bit deeper than that. Long-suffering's not the line at Starbucks is longer than I would want it to be, so I'm just not going to get coffee today. Long-suffering's way deeper than that. It's more than just patience. Patience is part of that, but it's, it's, it's not the whole thing. Long-suffering says, hey, I'm willing to suffer long. Not five minutes, not 10 minutes. Maybe five weeks, maybe five months. Hey, maybe five years because I know that God's in charge. And that will give us the peace that we need to walk in the fruit of the Spirit. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.